Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is episode 163 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. I am your co-host, Greg Frank, as we are going to get to the juicy content in just a few minutes. Going to be joined with our guest and, of course, eRenewable CEO, Mike Niemer, as we are on every episode. But before we get to myself, Mike, and our guest, we want to check in with eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. So without further ado, Ann has a few words for us. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or a privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. And we welcome you into episode 163 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank, and we welcome in our guest now, Chris Rauscher. He is Sunrun's Senior Director of Policy. Happy to have him aboard on episode 163. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing very well on this uh, snowy New England day. Okay, so where in the New England are we? Are we in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont? Where yet? Yeah, I keep going northeast. I live uh, just outside of outside of Portland, Maine. Yeah. Okay, so some good seafood up there. Great seafood. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lobster is always my personal favorite. Likewise for you. Come and visit, and we'll we'll haul lobster traps together. I have a recreational lobster license, so I have five traps that I haul in the summertime. Look at that. Less than a minute in, an invite to hang out. That means we're off to a good start. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the renewable and sustainability space and ultimately what led you to Sunrun. Yeah, sure. And, and thanks for having me as a guest on the, on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. So I've been at Sunrun for seven, I guess a little more than seven and a half years now. And in solar years, that's like two centuries because in that amount of time, we've seen, you know, companies come and go and we've seen the market uh, completely change. And um, prior to to joining Sunrun, I was an energy policy advisor in the U.S. Senate working for Senator King from from Maine. And that was just such a, a rare opportunity because Senator King or Angus, as every Mainer calls him, he actually made uh, his career before become, becoming a public servant, made his career in energy in the 80s in energy conservation, what we now call energy efficiency. And then he was a uh, governor when we deregulated the electricity markets here in New England. And then he was a wind farm developer. So when I was staffing him in D.C. on the Senate Energy Committee, he wanted to figure out what is the next big thing in energy that he hadn't done previously so that, you know, the, the people in Maine could feel confidence that he wasn't working on something that, that he had sort of interest in. Um, and I searched around and quickly realized more than a decade ago that it was distributed energy. That was going to be the next big thing, siting, uh, solar, and maybe other forms of generation on people's homes and businesses, adding batteries and electric vehicles and making the grid more efficient and less expensive that way. So, Started really, you know, um, putting our shoulder into the wheel on that uh, in the Senate and did that for a few years and then went and realized that there was a, you know, really great opportunity to join a very exciting company, Sunrun. And uh, uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. 
Yeah, and you mentioned that kind of realization with the distributed energy element of it. I mean, how important was that moment to kind of figuring out where you were where you were going to go i mean it sounded like it was kind of a little bit of a slow drip and then you kind of had that aha moment like what was that like yeah it was i could actually trace it to a single weekend in in our house in northeast uh dc at the time my wife and i had only only one one child and now now we have three and i was just doing a lot of reading on what we call der's distributed energy resources and it just really it grabbed me then and has never let go and i think the reason is that when you talk about different assets or resources on the electricity system, if they are utility scale, if they're not in someone's home or business, you're mostly just talking about financial metrics and whether you can build revenue, whether the the, the cost benefit uh, is worth it and whether you can finance and operate the project. When you're talking about DERs, it's that, it's the financial aspect but it's also all of the soft, squishy stuff that goes into the decisions that families, busy families in, in the United States uh, uh, have to make about how they, they, they power their homes. And sort of that combination between the energy transition, uh, the, the financial and market aspects of, of distributed renewables, and then all of the soft dynamics that go into, into it is, is what really, really grabbed me and made me, made me uh, just kind of fall in love with DERs. Well, you know, that's great. Can you tell us what led you to Sunrun and tell us a little bit about Sunrun? Yeah, sure. We, when I was working with Senator King, we wrote one of the first Senate bills, perhaps the first Senate bill, to put parameters around uh, state level and DER energy debates, like, like net metering. That bill was called the Free Market Energy Act. And um, while developing that piece of legislation, and we also worked with offices like like Senator Harry Reid's office, while developing that piece of legislation, we, of course, interacted not just with trade associations, but also directly with with companies. So at the time, SolarCity, Sunrun, and many others. And so I got to know folks in the industry. And um, Sunrun was looking for someone to join the policy team to work on federal affairs to help extend the investment tax credit way back in 2015. And uh, so I joined the company in September of 2015 and worked on the extension, which r- remarkably we got done uh, later that year in a, in a sort of compromise with, with, uh, with, with the oil industry because they wanted to lift the crude oil export ban. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the, of the next uh, seven and a half years here at Sunrun, I've done everything from federal affairs to, to state affairs and now I am still on the policy team, but I focus on the intersection between the policy and, and, and regulatory spheres and new business. So what that looks like is I, I, I manage the policy and regulatory aspects of our partnership with Ford on the F-150 Lightning. I work on virtual power plants, wholesale markets, and I also do a lot of work uh, in Puerto Rico. You mentioned, you know, kind of your different roles and some of the things that you've done over the last seven and a half years with Sunrun. I'm curious just how much the company has expanded since you joined and uh, you know, from whether that be from a personnel standpoint or just from a, you know, what you guys do standpoint Just what have been some of the changes from a company standpoint in the seven and a half years that you've been with them? When, when I joined, I'm going to be honest here. I I wasn't exactly familiar with who Sunrun was, right? The company had just gone public 
we had just uh, acquired an, uh, an, another solar company and everyone was familiar with solar city this like growing behemoth and and sunrun was kind of the was the younger sibling to to solar city now fast forward all this time we are far and away the leader in in distributed solar and renewables in the country we are we are the leader in virtual power plants we have these marquee partnerships with with companies like ford on the bidirectional f150 lightning which is the most exciting electric vehicle i think to ever come out and the company has ha, has grown in scale to a size that's sort of like almost unfathomable and let, let me hit you with it with a with a with a statistic here that is kind of hard to believe sunrun only does residential rooftop we also do some multifamily but primarily standalone single family residential rooftop solar so you know one six kilowatt system at a time we now have you know 800,000 or so uh, uh, residential customers. Sunrun is the second largest owner of solar assets in the country. We are bigger than every utility scale solar developer except for Nextera. And we are top 10 in the world. One little rooftop at a time. So our scale is enormous now. I want to go back to what you said. Did you say 800,000? 800,000 rooftops you guys are on. And yeah. that, how many different states is that in? We are in, uh, I think, 22 or 23 states plus D.C. And, and Puerto Rico. So on the number around, you know, we're, it's around 800,000. We don't release specific numbers outside of earnings. But if you look at our next earnings report, you'll see how we're getting very close to a million. Hey, uh, Chris, I'm curious, too, uh, from a seasonal standpoint, because I'm from the Northeast as well, not as North as you, but I grew up in southern New Jersey. And um, obviously, one of the things I always liked about the Northeast was that we get all four seasons and and you really kind of get three months of each one. So I'm curious, from a Sunrun perspective, what are things like when we go through the change of season and when the days get yeah right now, obviously pretty short. And then when they start getting longer as the year goes on, just how does that change what you guys do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's an often quoted um, uh, axiom here about seasonality and being in a Northern hemisphere. Uh, Germany is the world's leader in per capita solar and Germany is you know, you know, a few latitudes farther north than 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 New England, and so obviously there's seasonality to solar production, and what that means is you might need to put up additional nameplate kilowatts in the Northeast or in New England to achieve the same annual kilowatt hour production as compared to a place like Arizona or California. But we have we have you know six. 16 or 17 years now the company has been in business. And so we have uh, decades of experience modeling solar out. And we also know exactly when the sun is going to rise every day and when it's going to set and exactly how many sunlight hours we get in every single location around the globe now. So it's, it's something that's just a, a modeling exercise at this point. You know, for our listeners out there, you know, everybody, when, when you say rooftop solar on homes, everybody can picture the house with the solar panel on it. But in all 23 states plus Puerto Rico and D.C. that you're in, do all the power generated from the sun into that, so in, into that solar panel have to be put back up into the ISO, up into the grid, and then they just take it out of the grid later? Or in some locations, can it directly go into that house and use what they're producing? 
Yeah, that's a great question. In in all of our locations, the solar, the electricity that's generated by the solar panels goes and feeds the house's electricity consumption first. And then it'll either go into the battery in the home that we install and fill the battery up. And then after that, we'll go to the grid to provide solar electricity to your neighbor, right? And that's what's so cool about siting solar at the load, siting solar in neighborhoods is it doesn't have to travel long distances. You don't need very, very expensive poles and wires like you do with solar fields or, or wind farms. It's all local. It's all on the distribution system. Well, you know, I don't know that that's common for every solar panel on homes that it goes to the grid, goes to the home before the grid. Aren't some of those being put in and it goes to the grid and they just take it back out of the grid? No, pretty much every solar installation is what we call a behind the uh, on rooftops is what we call a behind the meter installation. You might be referring to a market mechanism called net metering, where when the home doesn't have enough electricity consumption in real time, the electricity, you know, as we were talking about, goes to the home's electrical panel and then either to a battery or then after that, if there's excess, it then goes to the grid to bank credits that you can withdraw from your bill later on. But we're really seeing a paradigm shift all around the country on this. Um, we have places like Puerto Rico and Hawaii and increasingly California, where every single solar installation that we put in is paired with a battery. And you are really using the solar plus the battery to meet almost all of your electricity needs. And then the other thing that has really changed here, and I can speak from personal experience if we, if we want to get into an example, is that as we electrify everything in the economy and we electrify everything in our homes, most rooftops in the United States are not big enough to support a large enough solar array to cover all of your electricity needs, right? And so you, even if you have solar, that might only offset a portion of your annual or daily consumption and you're still going to buy more electrons from the grid. Chris, last one for me, you kind of hinted at kind of where I wanted to go. You mentioned kind of the electrifying process. Just what do the next four or five years look like for you guys when you try and map out, you know, the large majority of the rest of the decade here? Kind of where do you see things going for you guys at Sunrun? Yeah, thank you. I think the the big paradigm shift for for solar companies, including Sunrun, is that we used to be viewed as sort of a threat to the utility, right? Like we were we were taking kilowatt hours away from the utility and providing that to the customer at a lower cost via the solar on their roof. And now we really see us as a partner with the utility and holding hands with the utility to increase overall electricity consumption on the grid, right? Moving wallet share from gas stations, propane companies, natural gas companies, oil companies, moving that over to electricity companies, utilities, and and solar companies. So you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of speak about my own personal experience, and that might make this concrete for listeners. You know, we, we've spent the last uh, five years in the house that we live in electrifying it. And what that means is, you know, we, when we moved in, we had an oil-fired furnace. We had a, a natural gas, a propane-fired uh, fireplace, a natural gas, you know, propane, so propane tank, cook stove, propane hot water heater, right? And what we did is we, we added heat pumps. We switched that that the 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 gas cook stove to an induction cook stove. We added an electric vehicle, uh, and of course, we added 
lots and lots of solar uh, on our roof. Oh, and we added a heat pump hot, hot, hot water heater and, and pulled out all of that fossil fuel infrastructure that we had in, in the house. And so our electricity consumption is vastly increased. It's almost three times now what we were consuming before in the house. And that solar that we put up, we, and we have a very large solar array, only meets about 50% of our annual need. So we still de- delivered more electricity to the utility on a, on a uh, uh, or we still consume more electricity from the utility on a yearly basis. And when we look, when my wife and I sit down and we look at the end of the year, how much we spent on electricity, I have a spreadsheet because I'm a nerd like this. I compare it against the cost of propane, oil, and gasoline that we would have spent if we still had all of that, all, all those fossil fuel appliances and automobiles. And we are saving thousands of money, thousands of dollars uh, uh, every single year uh, because we electrified. The next thing I want to talk about is you brought up the words virtual power plant. For our listeners out there, you're the first person to bring that those words up on our podcast and we're 163 shows in. Uh, tell, describe what a virtual power plant is and how Sunrun participates in those. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I have a, a sort of love-hate relationship with the term because it's very hard for people to understand when they hear uh, virtual power plant. Um, because virtual power plants or, or VPPs, they're not actually virtual and they're, and they're not actually power plants. What they are are thousands of homes that have solar and batteries uh, sited in, 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 on, the, on the roof and, and in the garage. Thousands of homes like that network together with software where Sunrun or another virtual power plant provider, we then use that software and we push power from the home to the grid when the grid operator or the utility needs more electricity to meet a peak demand, right? So very much not virtual. This is very much silicon, steel, aluminum, lithium ion in people's homes that are being networked together to provide a very real service to the electricity grid. And Sunrun, we have more than a dozen of these virtual power plants in operation or in development around the country, including the one we most recently announced, which is in, in Puerto Rico, uh, where we are going to have 7,000 homes network together like this to help defer the need for the Puerto Rico utility to fire very expensive oil-fired uh, uh, generating power uh, uh, power plants. And our virtual power plant in Puerto Rico, these thousands and thousands of homes network together, they're actually going to be cycling every single weekday throughout the year. So this is not like some sort of sideshow. This is base load power now that we are doing that is competing head to head with large scale fossil fuel power plants. So if you're sometimes taking the power from the home and putting it up to the grid, is like you're operating a demand response when they need power, you're giving it from the homes. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's exactly like demand response, but it goes one step further because traditional demand response, you turn down the motors in a factory or in a home, you turn down your thermostat. Uh, but with our virtual power plants with the battery, we are able to actually completely eliminate the draw the home has from the grid by providing power from the battery to the home. And then the batteries are powerful enough that we also then provide electricity to the grid, to the neighbor's house. So we, it's just like demand response because we drop the load from the home, but then we go one step further and we provide enough power for another home on the grid. That's unbelievably uh, educational for our listeners, and thank you so much for that. My last thing is I want to have a little fun at the end of this. I want you to talk about you all's relationship with Ford, the F-150 Lightning, 
And how is Sunrun participating that EV market like that? Yeah, I got to say, this is probably the most exciting thing that we've done in my in my tenure at Sunrun. Um, Ford, which is obviously a, a, a historic American automaker, they really made everyone's head spin when they decided to electrify the F-150. And it was just incredibly smart of them because what they did is they took America's number one selling vehicle for the last 40 years. That's the, that's the F-150. <clears throat> and they left it as the F-150 that everyone knows and loves, right? So when you walk up to an electric F-150, an F-150 Lightning, it looks identical to a gas F-150. You get in and it looks almost identical to a gas F-150, except for you've got this big screen and you don't have, a, you don't have the traditional gear shifter, et cetera. The big difference is when you smash that accelerator pedal, you realize you are now in the fastest truck that Ford has ever made and one of the fastest vehicles, the fa- probably the fastest vehicle I've ever been in. And then the handling, because you have you know, very low center of gravity with the, with, with the batteries, the handling is, is unbelievably good. So you're plowing into corners as though you're in a sports car, not in a, in a, in a pickup truck. And then Ford went a step further uh, in partnership with Sunrun on this where they uh, developed the technology to be able to take the power from the truck, plug it into the home and power your home from the electricity in the batteries in the truck, as well as provide power to the grid. And I think this is really worth pausing on because in the long range F-150 Lightning with the big battery pack, that's about 130 kilowatt hours. That's 10 Tesla power walls that has the capacity of 10 Tesla power walls, right? Most homes, when you put in a battery, you put in one Tesla power wall. That means you can run the house for days on end off of the truck, then still have enough power left to drive around on. And so this is, this is really something that's very exciting. Well, the question I then want to ask you is how is Sunrun involved in that? Since you guys put solar panels on roofs of homes, Where's the F-150 come in? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think this, is, this, again, shows Ford's sort of insight here. Ford is very good at building vehicles and selling vehicles. And they've done that with the F-150 Lightning. Ford does not have a history of going into people's homes and installing chargers, installing inverters, installing backup systems, and interconnecting all of that stuff with the, with the utility. But Sunrun, we have 18,000 people at the company, and we've been doing this now you know, for more than dec- almost two decades. We, we, we know how to have that kitchen table conversation. We know how to install all the electrical boxes and wiring in the home, and we know how to inter- interact with the utility. So that's where the partnership comes in. All right. Well, that's about all I got. Mike, any last words? No, uh, that was great. And uh, exciting to hear about your, the way you're working with Ford and the F-150 Lightning. We know that's the wave of the future. And- EV charging station. I just got a call last week from a city here in Dallas about putting in an EV charging station for them. So I'm well aware of the process of that. So Chris, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Anything else you need to want to talk about before we leave? No, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always good to uh, to tell the story and, and you folks have a great podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time today. All right, there he is, Chris Troucher on episode 163 of the Green Insider Powered by E-Renewable. For Mike Niemer, I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your weeks. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast from and leave us a five-star rating because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day and we were responsible for today's lesson. As I said, everyone, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you on episode 164.